welcome to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Adele King, certified nutritionist and holistic women's health expert. Here, we'll cover all topics related to nutrition, women's health, hormones, self-development, and personal growth. I'm here to guide you on your journey to balancing your hormones, loving your menstruation, cycle syncing, and living your best life. Now let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about medical gaslighting. So originally I had this whole podcast episode planned and I was going to talk about what to eat during each phase of your menstrual cycle. And after a long day of counseling clients, this topic of gaslighting came up quite a bit. And this is a hot new term. You might've heard of it before. You might not have. If you haven't, I'll give you a little definition. So medical gaslighting is a term used to describe doctors or medical practitioners who blame their patient's illness or symptoms on psychological factors or deny a patient's illness entirely. For example, wrongly telling patients that they are not sick. So that's a very simple example. And oftentimes with my clients, they're dealing with very complicated things They have so many symptoms. Usually they're in extreme pain. They're super uncomfortable. They're just looking for answers and they are not getting any answers whatsoever. They're going from doctor to doctor. They're trying to get scans or trying to get blood work. And oftentimes their doctors can be dismissive. So unfortunately, I've seen this a lot in patients. And by the time they get to me, they're just so exhausted and overwhelmed and just honestly looking for answers and I get it and I've totally been there and I'll share my experience with this as well. So this is a pretty new term even for me. I didn't even know there was a term for it but this did happen to me many many times. Of course a lot of women's health issues are so understudied it's ridiculous and the reason I wanted to do this topic was today because I just didn't feel like I was motivated to put out the other episode and I will do it later because it is a really good topic and something that I'm usually really passionate about. But after seeing so many clients today, just being so heartbroken by their experience and so I was so fired up. So I grabbed a warm drink. I grabbed my dandy blend herbal coffee with a little bit of oat milk and a little bit of sweetener, and I'm ready to sit down and hash all this out and hopefully provide some support, maybe some clarity, maybe just some words that you needed to hear to know that what you're going through is not made up and it's not an excuse and what you're feeling is real and it's valid. And I hope that you find a lot of comfort in that. So that's why I wanted to talk about this today because it's just happening all too often and women's health issues are not studied enough. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Many women are excluded from studies just based on the fact that if anything is experimental, they don't want to mess with women's reproductive systems. So they don't want to harm women's chances of future fertility, basically. So if you look at so many studies like intermittent fasting or any type of food study, any supplement study, any drug trial. Usually it's men and then there's a very small portion that is women who are in menopause. So actually a lot of things that we're recommending to women 
of reproductive age, most things don't apply. And then the crazy thing is that when you go to your doctor with these symptoms, because they're not studied, most doctors just say, oh no, that's not real. You don't have that. Or, oh no, the study said that you had to qualify for all these symptoms and you only have three out of the five. So I don't believe you. And unfortunately, this happened with me when I was in an extreme amount of pain. And by this point, I was in university. So I had already had surgery to remove a ruptured cyst and my left ovary. And even at that point, if I'm thinking back when I was 13 and I was in an extreme amount of pain, and by the time I got to the hospital, I was afraid to tell the nurse my pain level when I was in the emergency room. So I lied and said that my pain was, I think I said it was a six out of 10. And so they didn't really get to me until I remember just being so in pain that it was causing me to be nauseous. And so my mom brought some food back from Tim Hortons and I had to throw all the food out of the bag and use the bag to get sick because I was so nauseous from the pain. And I told my mom, I lied. My pain is a 12. I'm in so much pain. Please get me some help. So she went up to the nurse again, just saying, listen, my daughter's in a lot of pain. Can we do something? So they got me into a room. They hooked me up to an IV. They just said, oh, it's nausea. We'll be around. We'll bring an ultrasound you know, just taking some time. And here I am just in pain, crying, (laughs) getting sick, not a fun experience. And then when they brought the ultrasound around, they saw that the cyst was in fact rupturing. So they brought me into emergency surgery and removed. There was a cyst that was twisting and torting my left ovary, which then cut off the circulation. So essentially my left ovary was dead just because there wasn't any circulation. And so they removed the whole left ovary And before they went into surgery, they asked me as I was on the gurney, they asked if I wanted any details about my surgery. And I said, yep, nope, heck no, don't tell me anything. Otherwise, I'm going to be way too afraid knowing the details of you slicing me open and cutting me open and removing things. I don't want to know anything. Just take me in, take me out. (laughs) Although my mom wanted to know every single detail that was fine with me. I just didn't want to know anything because then I would have been clawing my way trying to get out of the operating room. So for me, the whole thing kind of felt like a fever dream. It felt like everything was happening really slow when we got to emerge. And then after that, it was like everything started happening really, really fast. And before I knew it, I was in surgery. And then when I was out of surgery, they had me on morphine while my stitches were healing. And I basically just slept (laughs) for a few days. And when I got back home, I basically just slept for an entire week on the living room floor on a little mattress and I was in front of the TV so I could just nap all day and the whole thing just still now it feels like a fever dream. And although I remember quite a few details, there's a lot that I don't remember because also it was very traumatic. So I blocked a lot of it out of my mind. And so I experienced a lot of pain still throughout high school and then throughout university, but it wasn't enough for me to go to the hospital. Like I'm talking, when I went to the hospital, I was like, couldn't move, couldn't sit up, couldn't do anything. It was just an insane amount of pain. And there was a couple times when I was in university where I experienced that same pain that brought me to the hospital last time. 
So there was one morning that I was in residence in university in Toronto and I was in a crazy amount of pain, so much so that I had to crawl to my residential advisor's door, knock on her door and say, something is seriously wrong. I need some help now. So they took me in an ambulance to the hospital. And by the time they got to me in the hospital in Toronto, it was about, oh, I want to say maybe five hours after the pain. And by that time, I was no longer in pain. The pain had passed after about three hours, give or take. And at this point, I was just sitting there in a room. So I felt kind of silly just walking up and leaving and being like, never mind, my problem's gone. <laughs> so someone eventually got to me and they ordered an ultrasound. So I went up to the ultrasound room and there was an ultrasound technician who was doing the ultrasound. And she just said, well, everything looks normal on the screen. I, she said, I read in your chart that it says you had surgery to remove an ovary, but I don't believe you because everything looks normal. I don't believe that you're in pain. I think you're lying. And I was so frustrated because I was up at 4.35 in the morning, woken up by an extreme amount of pain. This was my first year of university. So I was four hours away from home with no family, no friends, no support system. And even just recounting the story is making me a little bit emotional, but I, I didn't know what to say. So I pulled up my gown and I pointed at my scars because I have a couple scars in my belly button. I have two on either side of my hips and then one longer one going across my pelvis. So I pointed to all four of my scars and I counted them out for her. <laughs> I was being a little bit sassy because I was so frustrated. So I said, um, there's one, two, three, and four. And I'm pointing to my scars and I'm literally showing her that they did something to me when I was 13. And again, like I said, some of the details were blurry. So I started questioning myself and wondering what even happened at that point since she said I was lying, everything looked normal on my ultrasound. My fallopian tubes look normal. My ovaries look normal. I just felt like, okay, well, the pain can't be in my head because it literally jolted me awake from my sleep. And I was in an extreme amount of pain for about two, three hours, which I know is not normal. Meanwhile, I'm having someone of authority saying that my pain is non-existent. I'm lying and so I can laugh about it now, but at the time I was so frustrated. So first thing I did once I left the ultrasound room, I was so upset. I called my mom. I said, what the heck did they do to me when I was 13? What did they even do in surgery? Because I just had an ultrasound technician say that I was making everything up, that my pain's not there, that everything looks normal, I'm totally fine, and she has no answer. She didn't know what to do with me, so she just sent me away. And my mom was like, no, no, I was there. You definitely had surgery. You didn't make that up. You definitely had surgery. We all remember you healing from the scars, my friends changing my bandages on our grade eight graduation trip. So I was like, okay, so I had surgery and there was a cyst involved. I remember that. So my mom was like, yep, you had a cyst. And I was like, what the heck happened after that? Because the ultrasound technician is saying that that does not, did not happen. 
So my sweet angel, Mother Teresa, my mom, drove four hours to come get me in Toronto and we drove back to Windsor, my hometown, and made an appointment with the doctor who did my surgery. And he explained to me again exactly step-by-step what he did in surgery. And he said, I don't know what the heck happened with that ultrasound technician, but he said, I'll give you a copy of your medical records. So if this ever happens again, you have a copy of your medical records. He's like, these are my notes. Like, I'll give you access to my notes. Everything that I wrote in the margins of, you know, how the surgery went, what they did. And he said, I did in fact remove your left ovary. There was ruptured cyst. It was torting your left ovary. And he said, the only explanation I can possibly think of, of why the fallopian tubes would be the same length would be that scar tissue grew in its place. So I was like, okay, that seems pretty plausible. It's just, it made me really upset that the ultrasound technician was just not believing me. And so I felt a little bit calmer after that. And then a couple years later, I remember this one clear as day because it was extremely traumatic and I probably should have done something about it, but honestly, I was too worried to go to the hospital. So a couple years later, I remember I was studying for a psychology exam and it was one of my last few exams that I had in my fourth year of university. And so I'm prepping for this exam and, and I walk over and I'm sitting in my seat and I'm ready to write my exam. And all of a sudden I get this extreme amount of pain, like blindingly amount of pain, can't move, can't do anything. I'm like, oh no, the exam's about to start. They just put the paper on my desk and now I'm in extreme amount of pain. I don't know what to do. So I was like, okay, I can't, I can't just walk out of an exam because I'll fail the class. So I just said, you know what? I'm just going to push through it. I'm just going to hope that everything's okay. If I pass out and I pass out, they'll take me to the emergency room, but I just have to push through because I do not want to go to the hospital. There's not a chance that I'm going back to the hospital where I was accused of nothing being wrong with me and a waste of time. I was wasting someone's bed that, you know, someone more serious could have been in. So I thought, there's no way I'm doing that again. (laughs) There's not a chance I'm going back to that hospital. And, you know, I'm just going to have to push through. So by some means, and I honestly don't know how I did it, I pushed through the exam. I don't know how I could think. I just tried to hyper-focus on the exam and not focus on the pain, but I started weeping in the exam very silently, just tears going down my face very silently. And I tried my best just to hide it, even though I was in the front row, you know, everybody's spaced out a couple seats apart. So I don't think anybody noticed, but I just pushed through, hinted in my exam. And the biggest worry for me was going to be, how the heck do I stand out of my seat because the worst part is going from being doubled over or sitting to then standing up. It's something about the contraction that just pulls on my ovaries or my uterus. And so I was like, okay, just like deep breath, just do it really quick. And I lived about a three, four minute walk away from the university. Thank goodness. 
So I was like, okay, in the next 10 minutes, I'll be home and I can just cry it out and then assess the situation at that moment. So that was probably the fastest I've ever written an exam, handed it in and just breathed through the entire walk back to my apartment. And then I basically just laid on my floor, doubled over and probably just cried for about an hour or two until I finally started to feel better. And this is a type of pain that Advil does not help. Tylenol does not help. Nothing helps just time. And I will probably never know what that pain is. I'm assuming it's a ruptured cyst, but I've never gotten to see anyone soon enough for them to do an ultrasound for them to actually diagnose it. But in my experience, having experienced the first surgery go around, having it be a ruptured cyst, that exact pain, having it happen a few other times, I just imagined that it was a ruptured cyst and that everything would sort itself out. But being in that amount of pain for a few hours is insane. And now I'm pretty scarred. So I will basically never go to the hospital unless I'm in like pain where I'm about to die. Otherwise, I'm totally scarred. I, It's something that I'll have to work up to. But I don't enjoy going to the hospital. And now I just, I have very bad memories of hospitals. And so it's something that I'm working on. And even being around MDs, just being dismissed so many times for any of my symptoms, anytime I would bring up anything hormonal, anytime I would go to the doctors really for anything, any family doctor or walk-in clinic, I've always been dismissed. I don't know if I don't express my symptoms the way that someone else would because I'm a pretty independent woman and just like to push through everything, which is probably not the best all the time. But even when I ended up, I had mono in one of my last years of university and I had this insanely sore throat and I had heard that that's the kind of sore throat that you get when you have strep throat. So I went to the walk-in clinic and the doctor was like, oh no, you're going to be fine. Just, you know, sleep it off. You'll be fine in a couple days. So did that. It got worse and I started getting really fatigued. So I went back and I said, listen, like my throat is really red. It's really sore. It's really raw it's starting to close up. There were some big bulges on either side. I said, I need help. And so the doctor was like, okay, we'll swab you for strep. So they swabbed me for strep and it came back negative. He's like, see, I told you, you just have a sore throat, go home, sleep it off. So I was like, okay, you know, if you say it's negative, I don't know what else it could be. So I went home and just tried to sleep it off. And it got to a point where I couldn't open my eyes. I basically just slept on the couch for a few days and I'm normally a very energetic, bubbly person. And so I think it was my roommate that talked to my mom and was like, um, Alex looks dead. Like She just hasn't opened her eyes. She hasn't drank water. She hasn't gone to the washroom. Like she's just laying on the couch. I think you need to come down. So my mom came down and she was like, okay, this is not right. <laughs> you look so exhausted. I couldn't, I, I, I can't even explain the feeling. If you've had mono, you probably understand how exhausted you feel. It's insane. Like you just feel like you can't open your eyes. You can't get up. You can't do anything. So luckily my mom comes to the rescue again with 
all her remedies, her supplements, her antiviral tinctures, her vitamin T, her oranges, orange juice, and nurses me back to health to a point where I'm starting to wake up a little bit more. And I can't remember if at that point I went back to the clinic and said, you need to give me more answers. Or if I went to a clinic back in my hometown, I can't exactly remember because I was just so frustrated. But it ended up being mono, which is so much worse than strep throat because not only do you have this sore throat where you can't talk, you can't, like eating hurts. It feels like shards of glass anytime you eat or drink anything. It feels like just like glass shrapnel just going down your throat as you're trying to swallow. So I would not wish that on anyone. And not only do you have that, but you just physically can't move, can't open your eyes. I remember I had to crawl to the fridge to get some water because I was so exhausted that just standing up was just taking all my energy. And eventually I got better. (laughs) And thankfully I have not been sick in many, many years, but I think the stress of school just got to me like nothing else. And I know my, so those are just a couple experiences of my own. And I know my clients have experienced this time and time and time and time again with doctors not believing them, with other nutritionists not believing them, with family members not believing them, with their partners not being supportive, whether it's a boyfriend, a husband, fiance, girlfriend, wife. Sometimes their partner does not support them. And it can be really tough if your doctor is saying, oh, nothing's wrong with you. The pain's all in your head. And then you go home and your family's saying the same thing. And sometimes you can feel so alone and so isolated. And this often happens with thyroid conditions. It happens with a lot of mental health conditions like ADD and ADHD. It happens with cysts. It happens with endometriosis because endometriosis is extremely hard to diagnose. And this happens so, so often because we don't have enough research for women, unfortunately. And something else I heard recently on a podcast It was, I want to say it was Dr. Jolene Brighton explaining that she was listening to Dr. Sarah Hill, of which both women talk a lot about the birth control pill. And Dr. Hill was explaining, you know, research studies and that there's always an outlier. There's always going to be an outlier, whether it's on one side of the spectrum or the other. But often in a study, because there aren't enough participants that are outliers, Based on statistics, their results don't make the cut of the study. It's just the majority of the results. So then once the study gets published and the MDs read the study, then they go, okay, so this is the medical condition and these are the diagnostic criteria and these are what the patients are experiencing. And then when someone shows up to their office and says, listen, I'm experiencing this, 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 and this, and the doctor says, oh, well, that didn't show up in the study, so you probably don't have that. And so just a quick example. So for PCOS, the typical PCOS picture is 
a lot of acne, especially along the jawline, and then hirsutism, which is facial hair, and then typically because of insulin resistance, the patient will be overweight. And so this happened to me when I had cysts. I went up to my MD and I said, listen, I'm having a lot of cysts. I do have a lot of breakouts and I qualified for a lot of the symptoms, but my doctor said, oh, you're not overweight, so you don't have PCOS. Come to discover when I started studying holistic nutrition that there is something called lean PCOS and you only have to qualify for two out of the three symptoms to have PCOS. So now looking back, I'm like, I could have PCOS, I could have endometriosis. I will probably never know because I'm terrified to go to the doctor, which is something I'm working on. And I will actually be doing a Dutch test myself to do a little bit of a deep dive into all my hormones and see if I can start to connect all the puzzle pieces along with working some uh, with some other practitioners like naturopathic doctors. And so that happens a lot with PCOS, with endometriosis, and with so many other things. But in real life, there's always going to be the outliers. And that's something that doctors sometimes don't take into consideration is the outliers. So we have to be looking at the client or the patient that's in front of us. What are they experiencing? Listening to every single one of their symptoms and then diagnosing appropriately. So I'll give you a couple common phrases and examples that you might hear from someone who is gaslighting you. So if someone ever says, you're so sensitive, you know, that's just because you're so insecure stop acting crazy or you sound crazy. You know that, don't you? Or maybe they say, oh, you're just paranoid. Or if someone says you are making that up, or if they say you're just imagining things or you're overreacting, or maybe they say you're always so dramatic. Don't get so worked up. Another example is that never happened. Or, you know, you don't remember things very clearly. You're hysterical. There you go again. Nobody believes you. Why should I? So those are a lot of common phrases that can be thrown around and used when it comes to gaslighting. So if someone is ever saying those things to you, whether it be a friend, a support system, a medical practitioner, just know that what you are experiencing is real and it's valid and you deserve to have someone who is going to listen to you and understand what you're going through and totally hear you out. I know this happens a lot with the birth control pill because a lot of practitioners love recommending the birth control pill just because they think it's a fix-all for everything. Oh, you have PCOS? Go on the pill. Oh, you have acne? Go on the pill. Oh, you're experiencing high testosterone? Go on the pill. Oh, you have a missing period? Go on the pill. Whereas that's just a band-aid. And then when women come off the pill and their body comes at them with a vengeance and it gives them all the symptoms that they were having before going on the pill, plus more because that was just a band-aid, the doctors go, oh, you're crazy. The pill fixed everything. What you're experiencing is not the norm. It's not common. You're crazy. But we need to start listening to what's happening with women. And so this is one of my strongest missions is when you come see me one-on-one, I listen to everything you say. I don't dismiss a single thing. All your feelings are valid. Everything you say is valid. Everything you feel is valid because at the end of the day, I am not in your body. 
I only know what you are telling me. I'm not in your body. I'm not in your home. So I really don't know what's happening with you day to day. I only know what you're sharing with me. And I know what you're sharing with me is probably only a slice of everything that's truly happening to you day to day. So I want to make sure that whoever's sitting in front of me, that they understand that working with me will always be a safe space. And if you're listening to the podcast, this is always a safe space. You can come to me with any problem you have, even just a vent, if you just need someone to listen to you and to understand, or if you want to work with me, if you want me to give you advice, more than happy to be that for you as well. But I just wanted to talk about this medical gaslighting today because it has just happened so many times to my clients and it really truly is heartbreaking because oftentimes then when my clients understand that they have a safe space with me and they can let loose, all the emotions start flowing and tears get shed. And then because I'm such a sensitive person, then tears on my end start to get shed. And I just hope that women going forward in the next generations don't have to deal with this as much. Hopefully we can start to raise our voices and start to change the trajectory in women's health and start to listen to women and not call them crazy and not call them moody or hormonal <laughs> and start to really listen and understand and get to know these issues, get to know what women are experiencing and what's happening because as the world changes and evolves and new chemicals come into play and new products come into play, this is going to affect the endocrine system and mess with hormones. And we need to understand that as all these things affect our hormones, it will also affect women's moods, women's bodies, women's skin, and everything else. So I really hope that moving forward, we can start to listen more, be more inclusive, be more understanding, and that's all I have for you today. I just wanted to share some of my thoughts, get some things off my chest, and hopefully this was a good reminder for you that there's always going to be somewhere out there that is willing to listen to you and your story and know that you are heard and seen and worthy and appreciated. So I hope that you found this episode really, really helpful. And if you have a friend or a family member that has gone through a similar situation, I would love it if you would share this podcast episode with them so they know that they're not alone. And if you're looking to work with me one-on-one -on -one to get some guidance, I'll leave some information in the show notes below. Otherwise, I'm always free on Instagram. You can send me a DM. I'm at Nutrition Moderation. Or if you need any more support, you can email me at hello at nutritionmoderation.com and I will be available to you there. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week and I will chat with you next week. My friends, thank you so much for listening in. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with a friend, subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. For more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips, you can come say hi to me on Instagram at nutritionmoderation or online at nutritionmoderation.com. I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are. We'll chat soon.